Good morning, my rural chums. Welcome to Now Playing's Sonic the Hedgehog Retrospective Series. Look at this! I took 9 million steps today. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. I was not expecting that. But I was expecting not to expect something, so it doesn't count. Hosted by Arnie. I've been training for this my entire life. Justin. I am the hero you need and deserve. And Stuart. We are talking style and pizzazz. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. No, this is not some fun family road trip, okay? Listener discretion is advised. Here we go. Today, we're discussing Sonic the Hedgehog 2, starring James Marsden. He still gets top billing in this. Weird. I guess it pays to have a good contract. Mm, Not good enough. He's in it. (laughs) James Marsden, Ben Schwartz, Tika Sumter, Natasha Rothwell, Adam Pauly, Shamar Moore, with Idris Elba and Jim Carrey, directed by Jeff Fowler. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and if I die, don't look in my closet. But I am here with my squad, Stuart. And this is Justin. And we are here with a sequel to my second favorite theatrical experience of 2020. My second favorite theater movie. (laughs) Out of two, right? (laughs) You're right. This was the last movie I saw for a long time. I forgot that. In theaters. Yeah, it was down to this or Bad Boys for Life. Bad Boys for Life was number one. This was number Mm. two. New Mutants was number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Cream of the crop. But yes, Pandemic hit right after Sonic hit. One of the top grossing films of 2020. <laughs> and my memory was that I had given it this pity green arrow. That, like, because I had been conditioned by Pokemon movies and everything else in this video arcade, that I walked away from this saying, yeah, it was good enough. I was terrified, frankly, when I popped in the DVD to remind myself, couldn't remember a damn thing about this movie. I was like, I recommended this movie? (laughs) No, I did not. Thank God. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for not falling for it. I think we were just so glad, given that the people involved were making things like Hop and Mr. Popper's Penguins, it was a cut above what we imagined those things to be. But not a great film. I couldn't remember where I fell on that first one either, and I kind of gave it a re-listen. I think I left it where I was. I gave it a mild not recommend. And mm-hmm. I think that's what it deserves. Mild on everything. Recommend or not recommend, mild, right? No spice. I went back and I rewatched the first Sonic film also because I knew that there was stuff in it that would lead directly into this one. I couldn't really remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> I would have never been able to pull that bullshit out about the owl. Yes, I didn't remember <laughs> the owl. I didn't remember that Jim Carrey was left on a fungus world. And so I rewatched it, and I was excited to rewatch it, having positive memories. Again, second favorite theatrical experience. And watching it at home, yeah, I'd give it a weak recommend still. It's, you know, not <laughs> great art. <laughs> I have to say the last half hour is probably my favorite half hour. Getting there is not half the fun. Mm. I didn't sit down and rewatch the first one because I didn't want it to taint 
what I knew or didn't remember coming into this one. I kind of want to come in fresh on this one because I remember just having an overall not great experience with the first one. So I didn't want to come in feeling some sort of way about it. You know, I wanted this movie to stand on its own. And so leaving it fresh, patterns start to emerge with this franchise that we can get into here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. This did film in early to mid 2021 in Canada and Hawaii. They were on location in Hawaii. <laughs> okay. And again, it's worth pointing out, we weren't sure it had a good opening, but the movie in America made $150 million, that original, so there was a reason to do it. This was a low-cost endeavor. You spend 80 you get 160 back, and then all that international stuff is profit. So... Yeah, you make a sequel. I guess there's no denying the logic of there's business sense to continuing, even though I don't think any of us, even you, Arnie, weren't saying, I really want more. And they didn't go crazy with this one. They spent 80 on the first one. They spent 90 on the second one. It's not like they decided, oh my god, we have a hit. Let's throw 200 million at this next movie. 90 million's a modest budget for a bigger tentpole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big selling point, if there is one, is Idris Elba as Knuckles, which I'll just go ahead and say, I only played up to Sonic 2. I didn't know what Knuckles was, but I guess he pops up in Sonic 3. When I was playing some of those later Sonic games, especially the Mario Kart-like one with all the racing, there were so many characters I didn't really know, but I knew Knuckles. Knuckles was from Sonic 3, and that's where I stopped the original playing of the Sega stuff. But there are so many animals that would show up. There was Shadow in that game, and a lot of other stuff. So, I did have to remind myself where Knuckles came from. Tails, I remembered very well. From 2. But Knuckles, I was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tails and Knuckles are like, the tail end of my Sonic knowledge. Like, once you start getting beyond characters like that, it's like, uh, are you in the comic books or what? Because I'm not sure where these came from. Yeah, when, when we get the end stinger, it means absolutely nothing to me. I'm just like, okay, we're digging deep here on a universe that, again, I loved Sonic the Hedgehog playing the game, the first one and the second one, but yeah, I was done by the mid-90s, and I don't think I ever had any particular love for his family and the mythology. I don't think I really knew there was a mythology. Let's keep in mind, and tell listeners who may not have played these games, there wasn't a story in the first couple games. If you read the manual, there'd be a blurb that gave you a setup as to why Robotnik was there and even how to know the name Robotnik. You'd have to read the manual for that little setup. It's not until later games, part three started to have some story and then we really started digging deeper into it. But when I think of games like Super Mario Brothers and Sonic the Hedgehog and Donkey Kong, the word mythology doesn't really come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> and Idris Elba, I mean, I like the guy, but sorry, you're not going to be James Bond, that, that you're going to be this red, disgruntled looking, is it a dog? I'm not even sure what Knuckles is. It, it, it feels like that's not a big selling point for adults. It's a echidna. No, no, that's his tribe. No, that is the species of animal that he is. Oh, okay. You gotta be a kidding me. <laughs> Just makes the lore that much more confusing because we have hedgehogs from space, mm -hmm. but now we also have another creature that doesn't have a earthly co-founder. 
but he does. He's a short-beaked echidna. It is one of four living species of echidna. They live in Australia. Oh, okay. That's why I've never heard of it. Oh, so this is a real animal. Yes, that's what I keep telling you. It's an echidna. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. I just, I'm not up on this. Yeah, I thought you were just doing some sci-fi techno babble or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay, (laughs) smarty pants. Sure. But okay, it's probably the Australian equivalent of a hedgehog then. Whatever that is, an echidna. Okay, sorry. Could have gone Tasmanian devil. I wish they'd have given him an Aussie accent, but they went with Idris Elba. And I don't know that Idris Elba could do an Aussie accent. And Idris was there to welcome me as I walked into the theaters. They had him and the voice of Sonic and James Marsden, too, saying, thank you for coming to a movie theater. And let me just put it out there. I did not feel proud. I am going by myself, (laughs) a nearly 50-year-old man, into Sonic 2 on a noon show on Friday. I'm not working. I'm alone. I'm watching this ridiculous movie. And there's only one other family in the joint with a small girl I felt judged. (laughs) (laughs) I had somewhat of a similar experience, but I masked it and I took my son with me. So it was, we were two weirdos going to a kid's movie in the middle of the afternoon. In case listeners don't remember, it's not like your son is five and you would belong there. Yeah, my son is (laughs) 27. (laughs) So two adult men go to see Sonic in the middle of a Thursday afternoon, but there were some smaller kids in there. We didn't have a packed theater, but we had some kids that were giggling and laughing along with the movie. I went and saw this, and for reasons that I now regret, I wanted to see this on the biggest format available. I didn't go IMAX, that's a little bit of a drive for me. I ended up seeing it on the Dolby Atmos Super Deluxe screen, and I was going to see the 6 o'clock show, because there wasn't any later showings. Like, they know Mm -hmm. the audience, they're not going to put a 9 o'clock show on. And so, I was going to the 6, but the 6 was almost entirely sold out. I'd have been in one of the front rows or sandwiched between strangers. So I jetted out of work early to see the five o'clock show, which looked far emptier. But by the time I got there, thank goodness for reserved seating, it was chock full of families. And so I too felt a little bit out of place, the single male, my wife ain't going with me. It's just me. No one's going. (laughs) And I'm not telling anyone I'm going. And so I'm sitting there alone watching this with a lot of kids. But yet I was kind of glad after my solo viewing of Sonic 1. This way I'll be able to bring a kid's perspective. I could gauge how this is working for the younger set as well as how this is working for me. So whether or not I'm going to recommend this film, I can at least say if it's good for kids or not based upon my audience. All right. Well, why don't you give him the plot and we'll find out if Sonic 2 keeps pace with the original. When last we left our characters, Sonic the Hedgehog, voiced by Ben Schwartz, is settling into life on Earth, living in Montana with Sheriff Tom Wachowski, played by James Marsden, and Tom's wife Maddie, played by Tika Sumter. Sonic is trying to use his super speed to be a superhero, but his recklessness actually causes more damage than the criminals. When Tom tries to rein Sonic in, the hedgehog bristles at Tom's attempt to be a parent instead of a friend. Meanwhile, Eggman Dr. Robotnik, played by Jim Carrey, was marooned on the Mushroom Planet, He's been there for almost 10 months. He's finally able to escape thanks to a machine he builds powered by a single quill he took from Sonic. Robotnik opens a portal through which comes Knuckles, a giant anthropomorphized orange echidna 
voiced by Idris Elba. When Knuckles sees the quill, he agrees to return Robotnik to Earth so long as the Eggman leads Knuckles to Sonic. Knuckles pummels Sonic and reveals the backstory. Knuckles is the final member of his tribe, which were the users of the all-powerful Master Emerald Gem. This gem, created by combining the seven colorful Chaos Emeralds, and there's seven of them, lest you confuse them with Infinity Stones, mm, of which there are six. Nothing like that. This gem has the power to turn any thought into reality. Lest you confuse it with the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, that's exactly the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> Same colors. <laughs> the emerald was stolen from the Echidna tribe by a group of owls, which included Sonic's mentor Longclaw. The owls put the emerald in hiding on Earth so no one could abuse its power. Knuckles teams with Robotnik to retrieve the gem, where Sonic wants to honor Longclaw's mission and keep the gem safe and unused. Aiding Sonic on this is the two-tailed fox Miles Prowler. Get it? Miles per hourler. Mm. No, no, I didn't know a last name. <laughs> also called Tails. Tails is a gadget guru who came to Earth when he saw Knuckles was coming to attack the Hedgehog. Unaware of all of this are Tom and Maddie, who are in Hawaii attending the wedding of Maddie's sister Rachel, played by Natasha Rothwell. But this wedding is a ruse. Rachel's fiance Randall, played by Shamar Moore is a secret agent of the Guardian Units of Nations, or GUN, who protect the Earth from aliens like Sonic. When Sonic and Tails literally crash the wedding, Sonic is captured by GUN. They also take Tom and Tails prisoner. A furious Rachel teams up with Maddie and they free the three. Sonic races to the temple where Knuckles and Robotnik have found the Emerald. Robotnik betrays Knuckles and takes the Emerald for himself, and Sonic saves Knuckles' life. Knuckles realizes he's been on the wrong side and teams up with Tails and Sonic to take down Robotnik, who's now in a giant Eggman robot. The three succeed in taking the Emerald away from Robotnik, and Sonic absorbs the seven Chaos Emeralds to turn into Super Sonic, who easily destroys Robotnik's robot. Knuckles, Tails, and Sonic form a pact that they will protect the Emerald, and Tails and Knuckles settle into life on Earth, and Sonic calls Tom Dad as credits roll, to a mid-credits scene where Gunn has uncovered a 50-year-old research facility. In it, we see Shadow the Hedgehog teasing the third movie as the rest of credits roll. As they start, we're reminded that this is part of a Sega original film studio, which I don't think there has been anything other than Sonic 1. I hear that they're going to remake Yakuza, so we could be getting that in the next year or so. But so far, Sega original films, only Sonic. I keep waiting for Altered Beast the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. I mean, I would have scoffed at one point, but yes, uh, these properties that I... Sonic himself, I always thought, was too B-string to get his own movie, but here we are in part two. And yeah, we're returning to the Mushroom Planet. This is actually one of the few things I did remember about the first movie, was that Jim Carrey finally had the classic Dr. Robotnik look. He had the mustache, the bald head, and he had been trapped in, well, what he calls a portobello purgatory. 
Jim Carrey had talked about donning a fat suit. You say he has the classic look, but Dr. Robotnik was always a rotund man, hence Eggman, you know, he was kind of egg-shaped, but I guess they decided to not go with the fat suit for this movie, just go for an even crazier mustache than last time. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was in, like, a floating egg, but I guess you're right. He sort of, it was form-fitting, so they could have put a fat suit on him, I guess. I smiled twice in this movie, and one of those times is here in the beginning. You know, mushroom coffee is like this trendy thing that people are drinking right now. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. No, it's a thing. It's an actual thing. They're trying to tell you it's delicious. And to see him invent it here on this world and then spit it out made me smile. Yeah, and his little Rube Goldberg machine was kind of a cool way to start the movie. And what I remember from the first one is, despite it being a giant picture, it always felt small. Like, it felt like we were in a small town. We were on small sets. Here, we're starting to already flesh out this mushroom planet. Like, at the end of that last movie, it literally felt like we got just a panning shot of it that kind of felt like, oh, this is CGI or whatever. But now we're getting to see up close moss and mushrooms, and this feels like an actual world all of a sudden. But not one that we're going to spend any time with. No. Because he's figured out a way to use the quill to basically bait aliens to come here, I think is what he's doing. If I fire a laser into space, someone's going to get mad, the portal will open, and then I have some other Rube Goldberg traps to take care of them. And so we get three warriors in owl drag that walk in. Those were owls? I don't know what they were i wrote down three chewbaccas with lightsabers <laughs> i said warriors in owl drag if you look at what they're wearing it has a beak that's all i can speak to i don't know why but this whole universe as far as i know no owl ever appeared in a video game of sonic but they're insisting that somehow owls have been a part of the mythology yeah these guys just kind of felt like power rangers bad guys from the looks of them but, I mean, they're easily disposed, and we're not meant to worry about them so much as we are. This is the introduction of Knuckles to our story. Yeah. Robotnik thinks he's figured it out, but the fourth guy to come through is the toughest. And he's got these oversized hands and can give a punch and basically starts talking crap about some master emerald. And Robotnik gets wheels turning and thinks, I can show you the way to Earth and show you how I got this quill. It wasn't enough plot for me to understand what the mission was, but Jim Carrey's going to take it and run with it and tell a lot of jokes and away we go. I will say the one joke here that made me really glad I rewatched the movie was Agent Stone. I didn't remember Agent Stone from the previous one. Why would you? I didn't remember he had created a stone that he called Agent Stone at the end of the last one. But they kept that here. The continuity is tight with Agent Stone. <laughs> You could say continuity is tight, or we're retelling same jokes as last time. I do feel like this movie is very guilty of trading on what has been done before. One thing I remembered was the whole thing was about Tom wanting to take a cop job in Seattle. No, San Francisco. Oh, you're right. Well, when we jump to Seattle, this is what, what's called a bad memory, but when we jump to Seattle, I assume he's in the squad car chasing the bank robbers that have kidnapped an armored truck. But no, this is for reasons the place that Sonic is trying to be a superhero. 
I think he can just travel anywhere. I mean, remember, in a span of seconds, he went from Montana to the West Coast and back again and said, I can't find San Francisco. And so I think he just goes to whatever city and we're seeing him in Seattle, but he could be in New York. He could be in Miami. He could be in LA. You say that, but it will take him forever to globetrot the world to get this emerald once we get the plot going. Wait, so are you guys saying that we don't know where Green Hill is? Like, because I was getting the impression that it was like a suburb of Seattle. No, it's in Montana. <laughs> you gotta rewatch and pay attention to that first movie because they're not going to tell you again. <laughs> <laughs> not that it matters. <laughs> or you could just let it roll right over. Just let it yeah. spin its wheels and keep going because... You're not really rewarded for all of this knowledge. But yes, the point is, here's our reintroduction to the lovable title character. And he has some fun taking down some bank robbers and actually the armored car itself. When he realizes he can't hit the brakes, he has to get the drill and disassemble the vehicle before it crashes into an ice cream truck. And he's just being a mess. The money in the armored car truck is flying out into the streets. He almost hits a pedestrian. I was thinking, is this supposed to be a heroic act? Because he's throwing bombs into the sewer. I'm like, he's doing more harm than good here. <laughs> you might as well have just let them take the money or let the cops handle it. Because Sonic is pretty destructive. That is what the security guard tied up in the back is saying. You're a terrible superhero. I still say he's better than Morbius, but I get the point. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm rocking out, though, because this is all happening to some Run DMC. It's tricky, and that's a song that gets stuck in my head probably once a week. So it's nice to actually hear the song instead of just my memories of the song. Really? This is in heavy rotation in Arnie's mind? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you may need to see a doctor about that if it's tricky. is If you have it's trickyism. Please see your physician. But yeah, they still live in Green Hills, Montana. When we see the end of this opener, Sonic runs back to the house that we remembered him hanging out in with Tom. I had forgotten all of this about him not taking the promotion. And again, I was it took me a, a hot second to realize that, yeah, they've kind of adopted him as either a pet or a son. And this is going to be a teachable moment for Tom to take him fishing and try to teach him life lessons. Yeah, I mean... Having not rewatched the first one and forgetting a lot of this other story, I think it pretty much becomes apparent that that doesn't matter. That the human characters in this movie aren't going to matter. They're, they're just going to become archetypes and set dressing. And actually, it feels like the filmmakers want to do as little with them as possible. And they'd rather just be making a fully animated movie. Isn't that strange? Yeah, the humans don't matter here at all. And honestly... There's so many characters in this that are going to take the spotlight. You've got Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, and Robotnik who matter. Poor James Marsden. He got X-Men 3'd in this. I mean, they didn't kill him early on, but <laughs> he's got about as much screen time here as he did in that Dark Phoenix movie. But the second time I smiled was seeing how Sonic erected, like, a makeshift metal detector and is going to be like, you're not in groups one and two, you still have to wait to go to the ring portal <laughs> to Hawaii. Uh, yeah, they're writing these characters out by saying that Maddie's sister, Rachel, is getting married and this is a low-cost way of hopping off to the islands and a way for Sonic to now run the house by himself. Of all the characters I didn't expect to return, Rachel is number one. I thought the grumpy sister-in-law was not going to show up again. 
She got the biggest laughs, though. I mean, she's the one, because she has disdain for Tom, and Tom brings in this troublemaker Sonic all the time, to have her having an event that's going to be ruined by them makes some sense. You guys can help me out here because you did go back and watch the first one. The one thing that this movie made me go, wait a second, didn't her sister have kids in that first one? Just the daughter. We see the daughter here. She's the ring bearer. Okay, that's okay. I had a memory of her having a couple kids, and that's where Sonic got the tennis shoes initially. And so I was like, "Where, where are these kids?" But I guess I had a false memory of more than one. Well, I think what happened is that girl aged two years. They brought her back, but we're supposed to think it's only ten months later, and she had a massive growth spurt between the two. But we get Sonic at home, and I think that you know you're going to have some rude humor for the kids and some base humor for the kids. But they are aiming some jokes at the parents. When Sonic comes out and does the risky business slide, I mean, no kid is going to get that. And then they're playing Here Comes the Hot Stepper. And now I want the soundtrack. But (laughs) (laughs) you already have the soundtrack, Arnie. Yeah. 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 What what are they doing? That was my question. Is like you're making reference to a 40-year-old Tom Cruise movie and playing a 30-year-old Aini Kamuzi song. I thought this was for seven-year-olds. It is kind of weird. You could make the argument that it's for their parents, but even their parents don't know these things. Why wouldn't the parents know these things? I would be of perfect age to have a child to take to this. This is for millennials. Like, it's for people that were born when Montel Jordan's This Is How We Did It came out. The music choices, I would think, would be an opportunity to talk to kids today. Sonic is supposed to be a kid. Yeah, I think he is supposed to be, what would you put him at? A 12-year-old, right? Like, weird to think of him as Macaulay Culkin home alone here. So, why not be more attractive to that demographic? Maybe they're laughing just because he's in a bubble bath with a dog. I don't know. Let's also think these songs are cheap. Yeah, they are. Who Here Comes the Hot Stepper was an ad for, like, Evian Water a couple of years ago. These songs are not going to cost them a ton of money. <laughs> Agreed. This is on a budget. We are not seeing, even when I think about Transformers or, you know, like, some of these things that played to younger audiences, all ages fair, like, it feels like a Nickelodeon movie, but it's not. It's just a Sega Paramount movie, but it does feel like they're going specifically for a 7 to 13 year old audience, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles audience here. But that's not the jokes, that's not the songs, and I don't know, those can't be that expensive. A a couple TikTokers, a YouTuber, you know, they could get songs from today. I think what we're, we're slowly coming to realize here is that we are just beyond the age for this movie's audience. We're supposed to be, like you said, Stuart, we're supposed to be the parents of the kids that are enjoying this, but we know who Sonic is from our youth. But Mm -hmm. Sonic from our youth, we were in junior high at the time, so we weren't falling into it as a kid and being like, oh, this guy is our favorite character, and we're going to grow up with him. We were like, oh, that's a Sonic thing? All right, see, I'm going to be in high school. And now our kids and our fake kids are older than the demographic here, so we're just on the edge of both sides of this. Don't tell me this isn't aimed at us, though, because we're going to hop to Hawaii and we're going to meet Rachel's fiance and they're going to do an Empire Strikes Back riff. He's literally going to say, you've got a lot of nerve coming here after what you did to my fiance. And I'm like, it's Lando. He's going to then immediately smile and embrace this man. But why is he doing that to a man he's never met? (laughs) 
I'm wondering how old the writers are. They are the same writers from last time. They brought in a third person who worked on Lego Batman and Ninjago and doing this DC Super Pets movie soon. But maybe the writers are us. They're our age. They're all in their 40s. Okay. So that's what it is. So they're too old to be writing this shit, too. (laughs) But also, you know, they've hamstrung themselves by having Jim Carrey be in their movie because that is basically aimed at us. You know, kids that are 11, 12 right now don't know who Jim Carrey is. And if they do, he's just an old guy actor from way back when. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to know who he is if you're enjoying his shtick. Yeah, the idea is to reintroduce something that got lost in the last 15 years, maybe. I mean, I didn't know who any of the people were in the Muppet movie. I didn't know Steve Martin. I didn't know anybody. But that I still loved the Muppet movie when I was five. Right. Again, so you're saying that this is a movie for five-year-olds and 45-year-olds, and who in the middle is going to enjoy it? We're not sure. But I really enjoyed (laughs) seeing Shamir Moore. Oh, my God. When I worked at Fox, I had a coworker that was obsessed with this guy. He's a soap star. I don't know if you know this. But the guy playing Randall the Fiancé came from soaps and has graduated to those corp shows that are now on primetime television. Yeah, Criminal Minds and SWAT is what I saw, which would make him respectable. But yes, he did 11 years on The Young and the Restless. Did you suspect him that he wasn't on the level? Because I just took this as she was marrying a hunk and I was rolling with it. I would not have suspected that he's part of some government agency sting, but I definitely thought he was going to be a villain in this. I definitely thought that he like, he just exudes that superficial kind of slimy quality that can be both attractive and then when you dig into it, very unattractive. Oh shit, they teased it and I didn't get it. By making him say the Lando line, if you think about Lando, he's going to betray them. Yeah, you could go that way with Star Wars. I was looking at the fact that he has these groomsmen that play this macho game of volleyball and they humiliate Tom. And this is where the movie really has always struggled. They want to instill life lessons for the children. Tom walks away from this experience saying, I want Sonic to have a squad too. I feel bad that we've left him alone in the house. And my greatest hope is that he can find a team of people like these assholes playing volleyball that are going to make his life better. I kind of thought that they solved that last time. I mean, Sonic wrote his bucket list and on the bucket list was make a true friend. And then he scratched that off because he and Tom were friends. And so that they now have this strife where he's like, Tom, don't be my dad. Yeah off from how we left it in the last movie and that now we're saying Sonic is friendless and that these are his parents. Mm -hmm. It's an adjustment in order to give Sonic the character arc and teachable moments they want to give, but it doesn't totally make sense because, yeah, I thought Tom and the dog and the vet were his squad. Yeah, agreed. And now there are parents that are worried that their child is a loner and they've left him home alone. And what's he doing? What's he going to do? Well, he's going to fight Knuckles because about 20 minutes into this movie, Jim Carrey blows in and Sonic starts spinning, thinking that he's leaping forward to take out this guy. And he runs instead into the fist of what's presumably, at least for the first half of the movie, the villain. Decent animated fight. We kind of touched on this last time, but I have a Howard the Duck question. Mm, I have no answers. (laughs) Are we supposed to see 
these space aliens exactly how they look as these preternaturally bright CGI creatures? Are we just supposed to say that aliens look like CGI? Or are we supposed to take it a step further and believe that this looks like a blue hedgehog and is more animalistic than the technology they employed? Well, apparently, if you showed me an echidna, I would think it is an alien because I don't know <laughs> what an echidna is. So, again, I feel like they all have a similar look, like an anime quality that makes them feel like they come from, yeah, the same universe, at least. It feels like they could be brothers, you know, battling here. Yeah. Do they feel like cartoon characters or Muppets or something like that? Hard to say because the human characters aren't the perspective. I don't know how I would respond to this if I were watching it. Yeah, I mean, Arnie, I had a very similar thought with this movie, too, because now there's three of these characters on screen. It's not just Sonic interacting with humans. Mm. And I started thinking back to the pre-release version of Sonic that they had created that the internet went crazy over, so they had to redesign Sonic and push the movie back. And I'm wondering if that initial design that they went with would have felt more realistic moving forward now that there's more of them. You know, and let that design aesthetic dictate the look of all these new characters. And maybe it would feel less, like Stuart saying, like Muppets next to humans, where there's, I don't want to say Uncanny Valley, but there's a definite cutoff in your brain between I'm watching a cartoon character next to a human and something's just not right here. Exactly. It's Toontown from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You've pegged it with that. And at times, I feel like I'm watching a 3D cartoon. You know, the trailers that I saw before this movie told me I was in the wrong movie. I saw trailers for movies I'd never heard of, like yeah. the bad guys with some evil snake and a whole number of animated movies. About animals specifically doing human things like robbing banks or becoming ninjas. And there's always a slew of animals. It's never like we're just going to focus on gorillas or just focus on snakes. It, when I watched all these trailers, it occurred to me that almost all of them are like Sing, where you're going to have a pig and you're going to have a rhinoceros and you're going to have a penguin and you're going to, you know, like Madagascar. And here, I'm in the same movie. I got a fox, I got an echidna, I got a hedgehog, and... I feel like this movie eschews humanity entirely, especially during these fights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be some kind of problem for why I can't connect with this movie. I think the problems are a little bit more on the face of, like, I don't want to be here watching this film. It's too kiddy. <laughs> but to your point, I think a problem that I'm seeing happen here that I think will be true for anybody, including very young audiences, I know why I would like Sonic. He is a troublemaking teenager that likes to have fun and is in the classic tradition of Bart Simpson and so many other characters. But why would you like Knuckles? And tell me, please, why anyone would like Tails? Well, what's worth knowing here is that this movie is going to pretty closely approximate the storyline from Sonic 3 and then the fourth Sonic game was Sonic and Knuckles, where... You had Knuckles team with Robotnik to get the Emerald and then realize Robotnik had betrayed him and then team with Sonic to go up against a giant Robotnik robot that was powered by the Emerald. I think the writers played two games and went, there's our movie. The, the problem is a fox with two tails that is flying around has no real business trying to get a magic stone with a hedgehog and an Australian beast. And he's even younger, right? He's like eight. 
I don't know. What I'm going to draw a line under is nobody knows anything about Tails from watching this movie. They have the scene about 15 minutes in that was a stinger in the last one. Like, here comes this fox holding what looks like an iPhone saying, I hope I'm going to be there in time. They add the fact that for some reason he stops to steal a squad car. Don't know why he couldn't just fly to the scene of the battle, but he steals Wade's cruiser and then drives it into Knuckles and we get a car chase scene. Yeah, considering that the one thing that we know about Sonic is his Sonic super speed, the amount of times we get him in vehicles Mm -hmm. is just ridiculous for this movie. And once again, it goes back to... I think they just want to be making an animated movie, but they have to deal with this real world stuff. So what do you do in the real world? You can't just have a blue streak flying around all the time. Let's put them in cars. I get it. It's 80 million. It's not 280 million. But the seams are showing here, right? You could the effects work. We can tell. Like it's for young people because they're not going to have the critical eye for like where we can see the outlines of superimposition and just kind of lazy CGI work. The biggest seam I kept seeing was on Jim Carrey's head. I do not feel that bald cap was well hidden. <laughs> but I have no problem with the animation. Problem is not the right word. I accept the fact that I am watching a movie that was never intended for me. And that I'm now trying to gauge it in terms of would the target demographic find this enchanting? Is this better than what they could get on television right now on a kid's channel like Nickelodeon? I guess it would come down to, do I like these supporting characters that are blowing in here? I think Tails remains an enigma. We'll get some lip service about how he was made to feel a freak because he had to, Tails, and looks up to Sonic because he's a proud freak. And that is a lame bit of dialogue that's thrown in in the middle of the movie. It's never dramatized, and I never like Tails. You don't need Tails here. I'm just going to put it out there. This idea that he's part of a squad, this whole notion of building a family is really problematic in this sequel. I kind of figured what happened is they were beholden to the stinger they did at the end of part one without really knowing if there would be a part two or where part two would go, and then realized Tails doesn't necessarily have a part in the story. We need to hop ahead to part three with Knuckles, but we've already introduced Tails, and so we're going to give Sonic this sidekick, even though I have a lot of questions about Tails. Like, he seems younger than Sonic, he looks up to Sonic, but he's this gadget freak, But does he have a family? Was he an orphan like Sonic? Are his parents looking for him for the rest of eternity because he's trapped on Earth? Where does this two-tailed fox come from? And why doesn't he give a damn about going back? I mean, are we using the right pronouns? They kept saying he, and I'm like, are we, that's, we're putting that out there. Like, I think the voice actress, it's female, and I don't know. Like, are they supposed to be in love? Later, when, like, they're curling up together by the fire, is this just gender non-conforming? Should I just understand that this is what young kids are like today? But I cannot put a label on what's going on here. And Tails is called he in all of the Sonic stuff, but it's not uncommon for females to voice young boys. I mean, E.G. Daly is the voice of Tommy Pickles on Rugrats. Yeah, and it should be said that this is the actual voice actor that plays Tails in the games. So it's the same lady doing the voice here, which, hey, you don't see an awful lot in movie crossovers from video games. They usually hire people like Idris Elba, you know, to voice somebody that could have been anybody. You mean we could have had Julia Roberts? Damn them. Oh, we missed an opportunity. Or or we could have gone the other way and brought in Jaleel White. (laughs) (laughs) But with this 
Robotnik convincing Knuckles that they should team up. You want to talk about humor that just does not feel like it works, and I don't know what age this is aimed at. Would the target audience know flossing? When <laughs> Jim Carrey's like, I need to teach you about Earth, and if you don't know how to floss, you're not gonna know anything about Earth. It's like... I think flossing is so old that the kids who this movie is aimed at wouldn't know it. What are you talking about? Flossing was the thing like five years ago. Yes, exactly. Five years ago when those kids were in kindergarten and don't remember it. No, no. When they did it, that's to them is nostalgia. Oh, remember flossing. That's something they got right, Arnie. I'm actually going to cite it's one of the few times that the references were tracking with the Target demo. And we're going to find out entirely about the Emerald. And what I took here is Knuckles' tribe had the Emerald and used the hell out of the Emerald. We're getting this flashback that they were abusing the power of the Emerald, right? Uh, this owl tribe bullshit is so bad that there is no making sense of it. We have a gem that created a war. Please graft in as much Marvel as you can because our mythology is paltry and stupid. And yes, there is this tribe that fought and killed Longclaw. And now the owls, because they're wise, I guess they're owls, so they're smarter. They knew to hide the stone on Earth. And they actually wanted Sonic to come here as the new guardian. I mean, this is a whole lot of retconning and garbage. But it explains we had a big problem with the first movie. What is this tribe? Why are they attacking the owl? What do they want? It doesn't explain anything. Yes, it gives a reason. It will never explain why we're watching something so stupid. It's not all that stupid in my mind. And before anyone says, hey, this gems and everything was in Sonic the Game long before Infinity War. Yes, but the comic Infinity War was out there with the gems long before they ever put it in the game. So which came first, the chicken or the egg man? I'm fine with this being the MacGuffin. You are. You're really fine. You're fine with this. Yeah. Really. This is an acceptable kid story to tell. Sure. Not a flaming pile of garbage that you want to, like, if I had that stone, I would change my reality and be in any other movie theater right now. I don't understand that strong of a reaction. No, I'm fine with this emerald, the source of all power. It's obviously what they'd want. The thing that I'm getting is that Knuckles should be irredeemable because his tribe, of which he was one, abused this power, although he was a young boy. Yes, they've got it out here. The dad went off to war and died for it, and thus he has the same pain story as Sonic, whose owl friend Longclaw got a spear last movie. This is so bad, let's move on. To me, it doesn't matter if it's bad or good, because it's quick. It's just a quick backstory explanation to give people like us, you know, if we're going to overanalyze something, like a reason. So I'll give them credit for that. Like, they at least tried to retcon a reason into this. Whether or not you like it or give a crap about it, I don't think that's the point. I mean, the point is, is let's watch blue and red flashes on the screen. Correct. Correct. Yes. That's exactly where we should keep the conversation. This backstory is nothing but an excuse. It's fine, though. They need to give a story. I'm not going to say that it's tremendously original, but I'm perfectly fine with this being the MacGuffin that's going to cause them to go to all of these places. 
This entire plot is Indiana Jones. They have to go to a snowy area to find the location, and then they have to find the magic thing at the end. Well, I mean, they make direct reference to that. Jim Carrey will say this is feeling derivative or whatever when they're running through the booby traps later. And the Like, I get that. But no, a story is not a framework of what the characters do from A, B, and C. A story is thematic. A story is we want to talk about family. And here there's one tribe of family, that uh, an orphan from one, except Sonic isn't an orphan of the Owl Club and why they couldn't be a, a family. There's just so much garbage to all of this. You can't track it cleanly. And so that's my problem. This is a hedgehog that grew up from owls who were protecting a stone from a bunch of Australian creatures who didn't like them because they had their power taken away. I mean, that's just, that's a long way to go to try and tell something meaningful about family relationships. I think I feel what you're feeling, Stuart, is it's like either you're making meaningless child's fair or you're trying to hit a wider audience. And I feel like they're not doing either one of those particularly well. They're trying to walk this middle ground and popping into extremes. A Disney fairy tale mixed with a Looney Tunes sarcastic-a-thon. They're obviously much better and much more equipped to do the Looney Tunes thing than it is to, like, wring tears from us about fathers that die in war. Well, we're going to get another squad going as... A character I never expected to return does. The second on my list of, oh my god, they brought them back, is Stone, the henchman from the first movie, who I knew he made a good latte. I didn't know he was an actual barista. (laughs) (laughs) Again, there's so little about the original movie I remembered that, again, if I had not watched it, I'd be like, who is this barista? Like, it's just bizarre to me that they are tracking so closely to what they did the last time. Yeah, refresh me on Stone's backstory. Was he another agent that just decided to become loyal to Robotnik, and now he's a full-on henchman? Well, keep in mind, Robotnik was a government agent. He worked for the government in that secret organization, and this guy worked for Robotnik in that government agency. And at the end, Robotnik went a little bit nuts and the government disavowed him. But it always kind of felt like this guy hero-worshipped slash was in love with Robotnik. And Robotnik likes him too, but not as much. I mean, I'm used to Darth Vader choking those henchmen along the way and just throwing them aside. But Robotnik, he may abandon this guy at the Mean Bean coffee shop because there's only two seats in his vehicle. But he does go back to this henchman and does like his lattes and pay compliments. I don't think that Robotnik has any love for anyone. I think that point gets underlined later when he's going to betray Knuckles. He's just using people to get power so he can control people. But yes, this is a supporting character that I don't know that you really do need him. But it allows us to have some more physical comedy and there's a man in the chair. Later, it will help that some things get done. The reason why Robotnik, who, you know, during the car chase, he's trying to follow along in a riding lawnmower. He now can have his drones again because this guy has a coffee shop that doubles as a control center for evil. The lawnmower I can go with, certain things in this movie are inexcusable, and I just have to think Jim Carrey was out of control and the director was letting Jim Carrey be Jim Carrey. When Jim Carrey jumps on the hood of the car and starts growling, snarling, and licking the window like a dog, I'm like, 
this does not make sense for an evil super genius. <laughs> Are you liking Jim Carrey this time? Jim Carrey's performance here is very much like a Bible man villain. He has taken it up <laughs> over 11. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I mean, I think he realizes what franchise he's in now. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit humiliating to realize that you don't play to the level of sophistication. You know, Jim Carrey had some good movies on his resume. Yeah, he would do silly farce stuff, but he also at one point was doing Oscar bait, was doing things that got him respect. You know, he was Steve Martin. He could be the jerk and he could be the artist. And yeah, now he's just playing to children that aren't there for him. Like, don't even care who he is and what movies he's previously made. So... He's making the most of it. All I can say is, do all the jokes land? No, but, you know, he is a circus clown trying to entertain five-year-olds. And if it takes jumping on the hood of a car and barking, so be it. He's my favorite part of this movie, though. Again, like the last film, I feel he's channeling 90s Jim Carrey, funny Jim Carrey. I have never felt he worked that well in dramatic roles. We will be reviewing Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in a while, so... You don't think he's good in that movie? I need to re-see it. I didn't like that movie, though. Okay, he's great in that film, whether you like the film or not. I will be revisiting it. I remember never respecting him as a dramatic actor. I didn't like him in Man on the Moon. I thought he was only okay in The Truman Show, a movie that was only okay. Oh, we're going to have to fight. Yeah, then. this is crazy. Talk. <laughs> you're, you're obviously throwing down. Echidna like, versus Owl. It's a one. Those two roles were made for him. But yes, to be covered another time. We will cover that another time. But I love him as Ace Ventura. I love him as the Riddler. I love him as Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber, the first one. Okay, stop with the Riddler. He was a terrible Riddler. But anyway, we're covering it. It's already done. I'll agree with you. He brings the energy. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else would be willing to do this and wouldn't act embarrassed. He still has no shame. Like, he will still do Ace Ventura bits that a 60-year-old man should be embarrassed about doing. But he's not. He'll do it. Well, it should be said that just recently this week, Jim Carrey said that he's retiring from acting. And I don't know that that has anything to do with this movie or not. But. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought he already had done that. We may literally find out who's willing to do this when they make Sonic 3. <laughs> if, right? There's a question mark on this one. But yes, he is an asset, even if not all the jokes land, because he is supplying most of the jokes. And they're all over the place. Sometimes he's barking like a dog. Sometimes he's making references to vision boards and the secret. And again, just things that like no child or, or like... Many people would even get. That's a deep reference, but shiitake for shit. I'm okay with stuff like that, though, Stuart, because, like, if this does work as a favorite movie of a child who's six, seven, eight right now, and they continue to watch this movie as they grow up, maybe one day when they're 13, those jokes hit differently. I mean, I had yeah. movies like that where it's like, oh, I get that joke I never got before. Mm hmm. Yeah, The Simpsons, I think, works that way. Yeah. But the plot is moving along. I They have a map that the owl gave Sonic, which I don't remember, but they can throw a map in here. For the last movie. It was in the last movie. There was a map. Oh, yeah. I thought the map was to different planets. Yeah, it is. And now it's changed. Okay. So the map will lead them to a compass that will lead them to the Emerald. And so the map leads them to Siberia, which... Now you gotta think the filmmakers were like, crap, why'd we have to pick Russia right now? 
Not only that, but if he can zip around everywhere, why is this one blizzard and they're trudging through the snow like a human being would? Yeah, so we could get to a point where they had another fish-out-of-water scene in a bar, just like in the first one. Mm, It does feel like replaying that. Yeah, the whole movie feels like we're redoing what worked for us. And yeah, this is the biker bar bit again. Although, in the first movie, we saw they did, I mean... Several movies have done it at this point. Quicksilver and the X-Men movie and what have you. You know, they want to bust down what it's like to run fast and everything else moving slow. You always want to think about Sonic in terms of his speed. Here, it's just a dance battle. And I don't know how that would play to anyone over the age of 10. I think they're playing with expectations, though, because... If you remember the first movie, you remember it ended in a bar brawl. And so when you see this guy start screaming and stretching and he's this big muscular Russian with a tattoo of himself in a Christ-like pose on his (laughs) chest. And you think that, okay, this is going to be trial by combat. And then it turns out to be a dance-off. It's a joke I saw first in American Pie 3, But it did have me chuckle a little bit, and I'll always rock out to some Uptown Funk. See, this is lazy. Why aren't they good at dancing? This is a fast character that's very coordinated. It's the polka that they can't get down right, but when they put on Uptown Funk, suddenly they're great. This made no sense. I mean, but this is exactly what you expect from a kid's movie. You know, hitting the beats that they hit last time because I liked it last time, so let's do it again, but it's different music this time. Yeah. not Instead of line dancing, we're doing whatever this is. Yeah, the mamushka or whatever, but I think the bigger sin here is that, fine, we're doing this again and we we have to go to Siberia, but does nobody in that writer's room think, well, why do we have to go off and get the compass and then we just end up right back in Hawaii anyway? That's not too convenient. Like, maybe there should be a couple more stops along the way with this compass before we just end up where everybody else is. I thought that exact thing, Justin, but do you want this movie longer? It's too no. long as it is. <laughs> this is a two-hour movie that needs 20 minutes shaved. Oh, yeah, you can feel every bit of it. Like, we're not even at the halfway mark. But what I would argue is why that biker scene was important in the first movie was because it was helping bond the two characters that started out on opposite ends. I am not getting to like and know tales. Like, this is the problem. They want to tell me that Sonic's meeting his friends. You're just somebody that kind of looks like me that'll helicopter me around. You are not a character. I do not like you. I suppose you could argue that this scene does help us to understand that Tails is a tech guy, right? We get to see the cloning device or whatever where it makes a hundred of them all around the room. Right. But other than that, like, yeah, there's no bonding going on here. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah, you need to have us care about these new characters. They're not putting in that work. I'll agree with Tails. I think that they're doing a pretty decent job with Knuckles because when they finally get to that temple with the compass and we hear Sonic learn of this origin of the gems, I understand Knuckles' pain. I understand why Knuckles is doing what he's doing. And they're going to make another funny Fast and the Furious joke. The fighting's gone on for centuries, like Vin Diesel and The Rock. (laughs) Well, what I would want to understand about Knuckles is why he trusts Dr. Robotnik. He initially is like, I don't need you, our deal is done, but we're supposed to believe that he's naive, and thus that he has a friend, and it will be meaningful for him to see Sonic, who he believes to be the enemy, go and try and rescue Tails rather than pursue the compass when they get it. 
That's the idea you want to walk away from in the middle of all the referencing and the jokes and the fast-paced comedy. That's the point of this. All of that gets lost. But we do get a scene that feels like it's from the game here when Sonic is snowboarding. That feels like something they would do in the game. You know, they had several of those levels where he was running in that 3D perspective. Sonic 2, yeah, that was always my favorite. That was so cool to suddenly be, yeah, in his perspective. I thought it was a a good idea to do this, this avalanche snowboard thing. That was innovative at the time. To go from a side scroller to straight going down the barrel of the screen, that that was innovative and it was fun to see that depicted here. Hey, Contra did it. (laughs) But again, why does Knuckles want to hurt Sonic? He's not an owl. His tribe was never against hedgehogs, but because one owl protected one hedgehog, he wants the compass. They have the compass. They get it. Like, it's not about that. He wants to hurt this guy. They want to make it seem like it's personal, but it really isn't. They do something here that shocked me and confused me, is at one point Sonic's hanging off a ledge and he loses all of his magic rings. And I'm thinking, well, they could just, like, go down there and get them... I didn't understand what losing those rings did, but first, I suppose it trapped them in Siberia, but second, and perhaps more importantly, without those rings, there's no way for either Knuckles nor Tails to go home, except, I guess, using the Emerald, which can do whatever your thought desires. You go home to another planet, you mean? Yeah. Well, Sonic ain't going anywhere. No, but Tails might want to go home. Knuckles might want to go home. Who knows, right? Like, Tails is so nondescript. How did he get there? I guess he could leave the same way he flew in. Yeah, he portaled in, too, at the end of that movie. You're right. He has tech. Maybe he can just use tech. Yeah. The point is to try and find some way back to the human characters and do the physical comedy bits that worked for them last movie. And here it means that we've got to see Tom realize the ring that he was given to come home actually is going on the finger of the sister-in-law. And again, Pratt Falls, this is not a bad idea. Like the idea that they're going to bring the avalanche into the Hawaiian wedding, probably a good idea. What do you think came first in in the writing room here? Do you think the idea that they needed to have this scene set up so Tom could ruin the ceremony and therefore eventually reveal that the the fiance was actually a secret government agent so it's okay that he ruined it like which idea think came first like did they need this and then they wrote the guy was an a-hole or was the guy an a-hole all along and this was okay i would think that no matter what tom has to do something to save sonic and piss off the sister-in-law. Yeah. I mean, that's just the dynamic there, is when they decide they're going to bring back the sister-in-law, Tom has to do something to get her mad, and you need to give her something to do, because she didn't have anything to do except get mad in a funny way. And so, I think the idea of him pissing her off came first, and then probably the idea of the wedding came second, and then the the specifics of the avalanche third. That would be how I would guess. Yeah, because Operation Catfish makes no sense. If you were trying to create a sting to capture Sonic, why would you stake out this wedding, which Sonic is not in attendance of, and only just because he dropped rings is even communicating with them at this moment? 
would the agent have said I do had the avalanche not come? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh it feels like rewriting or just not well thought out. Let's have a twist for a twist's sake because we really do like to watch Rachel get pissed and her bridezilla antics are some of the big laughs we're getting here in the middle of the movie where she's turning on her groom and blowing up her wedding cake and going crazy. We have to have the moment of the movie where everything feels lost. And here, Sonic has lost the compass, Knuckles and Robotnik has it, and Tails is hurt. He got hurt by an explosion and is comatose, I suppose. something. Which happened to Sonic last movie, lest we forget. They just go with the, oh no, the animal is close to dead kind of setup. But to... Top it all off, this gun organization takes Sonic, Tails, and Tom hostage, and we get this scene giving the women something to do, which they didn't have last time. (laughs) And this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, I gotta say. I mean, they give something for Rachel to do. I still say Maddie maybe even has less. I I forgot she was a veterinarian, but like, there's nothing about her identity left anymore. She's just literally a woman standing around. Well, she rescues Tom, doesn't she? By rescues, you mean she walks into the room full of cages and undoes a handcuff. Wow. Woohoo! Exciting. Yeah, once again, this movie shows that they have more characters than they have use for. But here came a joke that made me look up to see, is this movie PG or PG-13? It's PG, but when Rachel is confronting Randall and she's asking, who was the agent? She goes was the girl who waxed my and nods down south. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is the first waxed vagina joke I think I've ever heard in a kid's film. (laughs) And this guy in front of me, this father of a kid, went, "Mm mm-hmm, girl. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That one hit my ears weird too, Arnie, but then I thought about it a little bit more. It's like, ah, I mean, that's one of those jokes that could fly on Three's Company. She could have been talking about waxing her legs. You know, Mm -hmm. but of course, us middle-aged men are going to go somewhere else with that. Yeah. Anything they can do to empower Rachel to bring some humor uh, at this point is helpful because the twist itself doesn't make sense and they don't follow through on it. Okay, they've got the aliens and now what? They just go back into the Four Seasons Hotel. They don't even start experimenting or have their own agenda. Like, they don't even take them off to a military compound. And we're getting some good music here again. Barracuda. Now, that song's, what, 40 years old, but... Probably closer to 50, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess you need a hard rockin' female singer like Hart in order to give the girls their scene. This is where they give Randall his moment, too. Like, he, yes, I betrayed you, you know, I'm a dog and all of that, but he does jump in front of the taser for her, thinks he's dying, but only landed on the ice sculpture, and then realizes that, yeah, I mean, it'd it'd been nice to actually go back and see them get married for real, because I think that's what we're supposed to take away from this, is that he really does love her, and that would have been a funny thing to follow through on. I'm not sure if he loved her, Until he saw her be a badass, though. I think being an agent, he could only love an agent. And it was when she started taking his boss at gunpoint and becoming the storming bridezilla. I think the big moment is when she's driving the golf cart and then, like, puts it in a slide mode and casually steps out of it while it's sliding sideways is the moment he realized this woman is a action star and I love her. Yeah, kind of a funny irony. Again, they the reason why you keep all of this nonsense, which has nothing to do with this convoluted treasure hunt thing, 
is because it's actually one of the few things that is actually funny and entertaining for all audiences. What Robotnik is doing on a desert island, creating the ocean parting to go through the... This is another missed opportunity, I feel like, for the movie. They spend so much time with exposition that really doesn't matter with these human characters. And we finally get to a set piece that looks cool, looks like the video game. And we meet up with Robotnik and Knuckles halfway through their journey through this Temple of Doom. You know, we don't get to see them dodging traps and figuring things out until they're about halfway through. And it's like, did we just miss the reason why I might be sitting in this theater? No, and I did think it was a little much that they were running from a giant boulder. I mean, they've been making allusions to Lucasfilm movies this whole time, but that one... I did like the Jim Carrey said he didn't want to die this way because it was derivative. That was my smile during that scene. No, it's a way of saving the fact that you are derivative is to at least acknowledge it. I mean, give Jim Carrey credit. He tries to find the jokes in it, but there isn't strong humor here. Again, that's fine. I, I think comedies can trade on the popularity of other source material. All I would ask is, are these jokes for anyone that's the right age? They're jokes that play to us, but... I don't think they're going to play to the kids or their parents. Well, I think that's why Jim Carrey's the right choice here, because his facial features and his the faces he makes is what's funny to a six-year-old. You know, it's not necessarily what he's saying, it's how he's acting. And I found it really convenient when Knuckles and Eggman show up at their temple. I'm like, is it in Hawaii? <laughs> it looks like Hawaii to me, and it was filmed in Hawaii, but I thought it was going to be really funny if they ended up both on the big island or something. But... We're told it's hundreds of miles away, and Sonic can't run over water, and we get that Indiana Jones line, water. Why did it have to be water? Because they set up in that boat scene, Sonic can't swim. Yeah, all of this is so sloppy. I mean, again, we can't, I, I guess. Well, you drown in the game, remember? I mean, I actually don't remember that, but he does go in underwater levels and swim. Uh, yes, you can dr drown if you don't get air, but he's not aquatic. I get that. He's a hedgehog, but he's not a mermaid. But <laughs> you're acting blasé about the plot being good enough. I would say that this is not good enough. I would say that this is the things you have to work at to make to feel organic in order for adults to go along with it. This is lazy. This is something that's only going to play to non-discriminating six-year-olds. This feels juvenile and scattered. I did wonder, though why Sonic would wash up ashore, because he runs over the water. He has the speed to go over the water. He gets hit by a wave, washes up ashore, is perfectly fine, and then runs on the water again. Yeah. Is it to show a sign of bravery that he's willing to face that risk again? I didn't understand the layout of this because of that. Because, you know, at one point the comment was made like, oh, there's a green laser beam shooting in the sky. It must be 100 miles away. And then we see Sonic running from the island towards it. He jumps over a huge wave. Then he misses the next one and he ends up right back on the island shore. It's like, how is this working? Yeah. I thought it was a different island. Like, there were three islands. There is the Hawaiian island. There was the island with the temple. And there was the island upon which Sonic washed up. But they all look like Hawaii to me. Yeah, and they're all, you know, CGI'd enough that they could be Idaho and we wouldn't know any difference. But the other thing is Tails could fly him there, but for some reason they've just written him out of this. We're supposed to be falling in love with this character, but he has a head injury and so he's just laying. Well, what they've written is Tails is injured and he can't fly, but he'll be fine in a few minutes after. He'll find them and it'll all be fine because that's the kind of writing we're getting here. 
I have to believe the best writing is Jim Carrey ad-libbing, because they get to the Emerald, and now Jim Carrey, the line I laughed out loud, and there was only one laugh out loud moment for me in this, but when he says to Knuckles, you're as useful to me now as a backstage pass to Limp Bizkit. I knew knew it. I I was sitting there thinking, I'm going to love that. (laughs) But Knuckles is now betrayed. I trusted you. You were my friend. Come on. And yeah, then this very lazy, like, oh, something heavy falls on Knuckles and he needs to be saved. Oh, but Sonic's drowning. Now he needs to be saved. I guess we're friends now. Like, I mean, this diagram is pathetic. I did like that they have Sonic inhale an air bubble straight out of the game, though. That was fun. Yeah, that was a fun little thing. And maybe I'm getting too pedantic here, but, like, why couldn't Sonic just float back up? Like, why was he weighted down? Because they need for him to be saved. Because this is how lazy the writing is. You gotta earn this stuff. I'm not saying that it needs to be complicated or layered or adult. I'm just saying that even in the most basic kids' things, you need to be able to show the moments authentically. Or it just feels like an after-school special. It feels inorganic and unconvincing in its message making. Yeah, the old adage of show don't tell is usually what you do in movies, but here I feel like we're getting all show and no tell when it comes to stuff like this. First draft writing, just like, okay, they need to do this and so they will do this. Don't ask why. Don't even look back. We're speeding along to a climax, which should feel like, wow, we're already at the end, but actually I'm feeling very much wanting to leave the theater and do not necessarily want a giant robot finale. I'm happy for a giant robot finale. I felt like that was missing out of the first one. Always as the last boss, you got a robotnik robot thing you had to fight. So I felt like they're being true enough to the games. I liked that they did this. They talked about the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man earlier, and so that they were living up to that. They didn't do the actual Stay Puffed, but they had the giant robot. But surprisingly, Paramount doesn't own Ghostbusters. I thought this might have been a plug for Ghostbusters Afterlife, but I don't know. They're just grabbing at whatever our generation loved and replaying it. You know, and we've made it this far into the movie that we're finally at the big conclusion, the big finale, and... To what Arnie's saying, it's like, I think it does deliver here. We get some iconic-looking Sonic moments. I mean, the the moment where the Robotnik robot is peeking over the bridge as Sonic runs by, that's straight out of the game. I mean, that is beautiful-looking. Yeah, it is really... All the money that they have is going really towards this finale. It's very satisfying. I'm saying I don't want to sit here for a robot suit climax, but if it had come 30 minutes earlier, this would be awesome to see because visually, watching this tornado pull apart the tanks, the cars, the trains, and now with the Emerald, Jim Carrey is able to reimagine himself as a giant robot. This is a good-looking scene. It's a fine action climax. Of course, there is some good humor here. I like it when, you know, the joke was that Stone needed to read the manual, and then he holds up the manual, and I don't know if you guys remember, but all instructions for the Sega Genesis games had the exact same template for the front, and that's what he's holding up is the Sega Genesis game instructions. (laughs) Once again, just throwing a little bit of everything at the wall, hoping they hit some demographic somewhere. It hit me. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember, remember. Well, yes, this is strange that we have a, a movie that theoretically is for us more than a seven-year-old. I will say that millennials are aware of our childhood tech, though. You know, like, they're kind of reminiscent of that, because that stuff was sitting on their shelves when they were growing up. Right. 
We sold it back to them. Yes, I agree. They've had a reprocessed food childhood where everything we like, they were made to eat. That's true. My nephew, who is a millennial, is the one who I had to beat in Mortal Kombat on the Sega Genesis. He grew up with a Genesis. Yeah, I mean, th this isn't being lost on them. I mean, it's nostalgic for us and it's nostalgic for them, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really remember Golden Sonic. Like, this is must be a later game thing that you can turn into a flying gold creature. And It's from Sonic and Knuckles when they get the emerald, exactly like how they do it here. He oh. becomes Super Sonic. And they didn't play the J.J. Fad song. Like, they really missed out there. They're playing all these old songs that Super Sonic, <laughs> they didn't play it. I know, they should have. Yeah, it couldn't have been expensive. It's in their budget, I promise you. But he has all the power in the world. He defeats Eggman. I couldn't believe they made this joke. I could not believe it. My jaw dropped in theaters when Eggman says to Sonic, can we just let bygones be bygones? There were good people on both sides. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, that's Jim Carrey trying something. And, <laughs> you know, maybe it worked for you. I don't know. A Trump joke in this movie? He's doing every kind of joke. Again, The Secret. How many people remember that self-help book from 2005? I mean, he is grabbing at everything. The man has lived a long life, and he's using material from every era. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a weird note to hit in a kid's movie, though, because it's like, like you said, some stuff's aimed at adults, and it's like, whoa, what are you, what are you doing here? Are you just trying to get people pissed off on the way out? It's not sharp enough to feel like satire to me, but it's referencing. It's that because you know it, you'll laugh. Not because it's saying anything about the things it's referencing. I wondered if it could alienate a portion of the parents, though. I mean, I know the kids aren't going to get where that line comes from, but some parents may not appreciate a jab at Trump. Yeah, liberal Hollywood slipping it in again. Maybe, but people get offended about everything. I don't even worry about that anymore because I'm sure that people are going to write a letter campaign for this. This is just the world we live in. I just feel like this movie's trying to be as bland as possible. Yeah. And that was a spicy joke. Yeah, it didn't have to be included, but it was uh, Jim Carrey doing his level best to be interesting here. How does he die? I forget. I get lost in the robot suit falling over and all of that. Is he crushed? He just falls over. He's not dead. Yeah, we don't see a body. Okay. So, I mean, obviously you'd bring him back. He's the star of the series. And here we're going to get them becoming a tribe. Tails and Sonic and Knuckles are going to protect the Emerald the way the Owls did. <laughs> <laughs> and Sonic is going to call Tom dad. So, because Tom and his wife, who matters so much, I keep forgetting her name, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, can't you just feel the family, the family heartstrings? Sonic was immobilized and Robotnik's robot was going to stomp on him, and they were just going to die with him. <laughs> yeah. What a great feeling. Not rescue him, not protect him. We'll just be squashed, too. Thank, good thing you turned into Supersonic. Yeah, this is the human characters. They would have been better off being squashed and giving Sonic a new family that he could actually have some real connection to next time. Because Marsden and this woman, no go. But I guess that... Attempted sacrifice is enough that now Sonic's going to call him dad, which 
Mm. I didn't like that, but okay. I don't know why anyone would like that. I mean, again, it doesn't feel earned. But uh, yes, they've reshifted the dynamic so that they no longer have to be best friends, that they can watch their kid socialize and have, a, you know, presumably... However many characters are in the Sonic universe will have that many movies to show him becoming the most popular hedgehog in the universe. Sure. And it's because if there, if we do get to a part three, it's Sonic can just be writing a letter home to dad and use some unused footage of Martin from yeah. this movie to, yeah. to complete yeah. that role. Marsden has signed for more movies. Uh, I'm sure he has. <laughs> yeah. Talk about someone that doesn't have anything else. We're going to end with a callback to the first movie where we had to see Sonic playing baseball all alone, very lonely. If you don't remember that scene from the first movie, this ending is not going to make a whole lot of sense where now Sonic is playing a baseball game with five people and Knuckles is suddenly funny. He's now... I guess they're going for like that Commander Data Spock kind of humor where he's overly literal and doesn't understand customs. He did that earlier when they were reading the text between Sonic and Tom. He was saying the dot, dot, dot that shows up when someone's typing. So they were trying to position that as he's dumb. You know, he's like uh, all muscle, no brain. See, I, I was having a hard time paying attention to any of that interaction because I was it was just so blatantly obvious for the not the first time in this movie, but this scene particularly, the humans interacting with tennis balls on sticks here mm -hmm. was just painfully obvious like it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wonder what the dog was licking but it certainly wasn't a hedgehog but then we're going to have another hedgehog we're going to have a stinger for a character i don't know shadow the hedgehog first appeared in the 2000s as a rival to sonic and is considered one of the greatest characters in a 2009 poll of ranking Sonic characters. And if you trust the lore, and I think we do, he was created by Dr. Robotnik's grandfather 50 years ago. Ooh, the intrigue. <laughs> I mean, they don't have anything. The problem is, it was always Sonic and Dr. Robotnik. Tails was something that would fly in at the end of the level. Maybe help you out a little bit, but like there isn't this rich history from my game playing of having good love and goodwill towards other creatures. So whatever this was, uh, yeah, when we get this stinger, I'm just like, eh, too deep a cut for me. This character's supposed to be, I think, like the Punisher. He's very Machiavellian. The ends justify the means. He doesn't mind hurting people and he uses guns and vehicles and things whereas sonic is more kind and only uses primarily his speed so we know what sonic 3 is going to be although as justin said will jim carrey return because he did just announce he's retiring <laughs> yeah <laughs> the writers of this said they hope they deliver him a script that's just so good that he can't refuse coming back and, you know, that's months away from now, so who knows how he's going to feel then. <laughs> <laughs> he is an odd duck in real life lately. Yeah. But I do like the end credits, though, where just like the first movie, they're going to give us a 16-bit rendition of this movie, reenact the whole movie. Really, the way to see it is enacted in like five minutes and not over two hours because this movie's too long yeah i think you just gave a review <laughs> yeah well, come for the credits leave for the movie so justin stewart do you recommend sonic the hedgehog 2 justin 
it really depends what you're looking for in a Sonic movie, I guess. If you're guys our age and you have a passing knowledge of Sonic, I suppose there's some stuff for you here. I mean, for me growing up, the Sega Genesis came with Altered Beast, and Sonic wasn't yet the mascot for Sega. But for the guys who came up right behind us, those guys were brought up with Sonic as the guy for Sega. Like, he became the mascot. And, like, that was just a time that I was in high school, and none of that really means much to me. So, what do I want out of a Sonic movie? I guess, you know, a few referential things and something that doesn't feel every minute of its two-hour runtime. And on that respect, I think this one outshines the first one. The first one I remember just being a yawn fest and boring me in my seat. This one at least has more exciting scenes. You know, it, it does feel more like a video game in the places where it should feel like a video game. The temple scene is kind of fun. The last final scene is kind of fun. But at the end of the day, if you're making a movie like this and you're trying to aim it at general audiences and kind of do the Pixar thing where it's like, yeah, this is made for everybody. Kids can understand it on a level. Adults will appreciate it on a level. Everything they do in that respect here feels very calculated. And at the same time, like it's coming off the hip. So I don't know where they're landing here. It all feels very mushy to me. But I walked out of that last one with a mild not recommend and to show that I think this one's a little bit better, I'm going to give this one a mild recommend, only for the fact that it it felt like they put more time and effort into it. Stuart. Wow. Wow, I was not expecting that. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to approach it whether I recommend or think it's good or not, because we know I don't. And I didn't like the last one, and this is more of the same. I instead wanted to see it from the perspective of Paramount and Sega and be like, was this a good calculation? Did we get it right? There is an audience to serve that's a little too young for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they're going to be brought by, you know, millennials and maybe their Gen X parents to see it. Can we make a low-cost Marvel movie where we have enough, you know, Looney Tunes slapstick humor that a non-discriminating audience is going to enjoy. Yes, we got it out fast. The, whoever saw it last time is only two years older now. That was a wise calculation. But I still think they fail because one, this movie is way too long. Not, not just like a little too long, half hour, too long. Too many of the jokes are the same jokes you told last time. And worst of all, the new characters, the thing that you told us that we're coming back to, are not assets. I don't like Tails. I don't care about him getting over his fears, his cowardice, all of that. Knuckles, why he's so devoted to his dad's tribe and all of that. Completely a non-factor in this movie. It, it, yes, uh, kids might buy the toy because it looks cool, but they won't care about these new additions to the mythology. And also just want to put it out there, this mythology is horrible. Owls that take care of hedgehogs through magic rings and other dimensions is just an awful thing to be handed as a screenwriter. So I feel for them. I don't completely blame them that they've turned in this shit script. But it is a shit script. It's a scattered, slow, and I think uh, an inferior movie. I actually think that they missed a step. The climax is good. When you get to the killer robot, again, just come for the last 20 minutes. You'll get a good Robotnik robot fight. You'll see the story you missed done in 8-bit, 16-bit. But yeah, you can definitely uh, skip this one. It's missed a step and uh, even more solid not recommend. 
The three of us just walked out of different movies. I swear to God, none of us saw the same thing. We're talking like we did. (laughs) But it's like we all saw three completely different films yesterday because while I don't think that this movie is a piece of shit Taki Mushroom, I don't think it's as good as the first one. It is bloated at being a half an hour longer than the first one. It doesn't need that runtime, even with the addition of the two new CGI characters. And as Stewart has repeatedly pointed out, one of those two is not developed very well. Now, Stewart also doesn't think the other one's developed very well, but I think that Knuckles' arc is serviceable for a child's film. This is a film aimed at children, but there are enough jokes here for the adults. I think that the parents will get some chuckles, and I think the kids are going to be amused by the cartoons. Definitely, the audience I was with enjoyed the hell out of this film. They ended the film with an uproarious amount of applause. Hmm. Parents, children, everybody just... Except for me, because I don't do that. But everybody was clapping and smiling and enjoying the film. Can I ask, when we say kids, uh, do you have a gauge on on the age range? Are we talking about 8 or 13? Because to me, that's a world of difference. The one sitting in front of me was probably 4 or 5. Okay. And then scattered throughout the audience, I'd say there were some 8-year-olds, some 10-year-olds. I don't think I saw any teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a miss, because teenagers do go see Disney movies, but they're not going to like this. However, the thing that hit me is, admittedly, I don't go to a lot of family movies, but Sonic, for a lot of people, was the last movie before the pandemic. And it feels to me like Sonic 2 is going to be, for a lot of families, the first movie post-pandemic. This is the first non-geek movie You know, it's not the Batman, it's not Spider-Man. This is the first non-geek movie to blow up at the box office. We've talked about how they spent $90 They're expecting a $69 opening weekend based on Friday numbers. I mean, which Spider-Man No Way Home made in about an hour. I mean, I I think there have been other hits, Arnie. I brought that up, but that relies on the geek audience. This is relying on the more fickle family audience. And we will get part three, I have no doubt. And Idris Elba has signed up for the Knuckles spinoff. No. Fortunately for us, it is a series coming to Paramount Plus. Okay. And not going to be a movie okay. that we have to review. Or one of us will draw that short straw and review that series when we talk about Sonic 3. <laughs> But yeah, I I recommend this movie, but it's a weaker recommend than the last time. Yeah. No, Arnie and I are saying that it is not as good as the first one, but you're with Justin that it's worth seeing. Yeah, I had fun enough. I wish it was shorter. I really wish it was shorter. When I walked out of the theater at 7.15 for a movie that started at 5, I was stunned. I'm like, how dare they? (laughs) I was really, (laughs) I was offended by the (laughs) runtime. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Four-year-olds, eight-year-olds are in the audience. You do not want them to be sitting in a theater longer than two hours. But I don't know what I'd cut either. I really don't. I mean, I think if you were coming in and trimming the script, you might trim what's my favorite scene of the two women and Bridezilla. That's exactly what you'd cut. That's the stuff that really didn't matter. But it is the stuff that's probably funniest. Yeah, I mean, the biggest mistake this franchise made was making this animation in real time. They should have just done a completely 3D world 
for this franchise. I think it would have served everybody better. Couldn't have Sonic gone off on a new mission with Tails that didn't involve any of these people? Like, I yeah. I was not nostalgic for James Marsden and Montana and all of that. They really didn't build anything so good in the last movie that we needed to bring back Stone. And it just you, you bring back Jim Carrey and you go somewhere else. I thought that was an obvious choice, but they really wanted to drag everyone along. And it's only going to get more crowded in part three. I guess that's going to be a two-parter or a three, four-hour movie. (laughs) Well, maybe they won't have to try to lure Jim Carrey back. Maybe they will get somebody to put on old age makeup and play his grandfather trying to avenge the Eggman. But it's time for us to unplug the arcade for a little while. Good idea. No more dead triggers. Next week, we're doing a much-requested movie. Listeners have asked us for years, but especially since our review of Con Air, to make Stuart watch the movie that made Michael Bay Michael Bay, The Rock. That's true. Yeah, we're building up to the idea. We probably could have done a whole series of Nick Cage performances. He's quite a mercurial figure. I want to do a Nick Uncaged retrospective series. I just want to do every Nick Cage movie. Mm, I think that would be its own podcast. I don't know if I have time for that, but we're squeezing in one we haven't covered in time for his new meta movie where he talks about the unbearable weight of his talent. We're covering that one too in two weeks. The Rock made sense to squeeze in here rather than another bad video game movie. I'm glad we're doing something else, even if it is Michael Bay. And of course, we got other creatures that are fantastical to talk about this Friday. The second movie of the lesser Harry Potter uh, Wizarding World franchise, Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes, Secrets of Dumbledore opens this week. Some preview screenings are taking place tomorrow, and we will be reviewing that next week for our Platinum donors. But Platinum donors this Friday get to hear our review of the second Fantastic Beasts films. You could find out how to support our podcast, keep this show going, and hear all of those bonus reviews at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And in addition to you guys donating to us and keeping us going, we're giving back to you. Thanks to our friends at 20th Century Studios, we are giving away five Blu-ray copies of Death on the Nile, the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Kenneth Branagh and Gal Gadot. Letitia Wright, Russell Brand, and Tom Bateman. Recent Oscar-winning Kenneth Branagh, in fact. Yeah. His encore to Belfast. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll cover that series one day, but in the meantime, you could be lucky enough to get in on the second installment. All you have to do is subscribe to our In Focus newsletter. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com, scroll down a little bit. In the right column is the sign-up form. If you're subscribed to that newsletter, you're entered to win. And if you join our Facebook group, if you go to facebook.com forward slash now playing podcast, our pinned post is a link to that group and you'll be entered there too. Do both. You have two chances to win a copy of Death on the Nile. You must live in the continental US in order to win this copy and we will announce the winners on April 14th. So thanks again to 20th Century Studios for this giveaway. And thank you to all the listeners 
who have joined us for this review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We greatly appreciate you guys coming back week after week in order to listen to our show. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, game over. So should we get out of here? Yeah, time to go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. That wasn't too bad. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. We do have fun, huh? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. I feel just like Vin Diesel. It's all about family, Tom. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. How are you not dead? I have no idea. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. That sounds big. It's been on my vision board for years. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Clearly, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Okay, let's do this. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. And please, five stars. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I just thought you might like a latte with steamed Austrian goat milk. Of course I want a latte. I love the way you make them! Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Are you in charge here? Yes, I nope. am. Wrong. Me. I'm in charge. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I am living my best life on Earth. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Work smarter, not harder. Now Playing credits read by Brock. It talks. Almost constantly. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Confidence. A fool's substitute for intelligence. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You'll never catch me! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Give me a big fat break!
Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2022. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. The time for talking is over! It's time to push buttons. <laughs>